Welcome to 52 Pearls, the weekly money wisdom podcast. I'm Melissa Joy, a certified financial planner and founder of Pearl Planning. And I'm joined by Melissa Friedenberg, Pearl Planning Financial Advisor. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. (laughs) You're never going to forget our names because, of course, we're both named Melissa, children of the 70s. So each week we provide a bite-sized actionable tip that we hope will help you make better financial decisions. The purpose of our podcast is to accompany our weekly financial tips, which we call 52 Pearls. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to sharing along the way. It's Melissa Joy here today, and I'm so pleased to be joined by Amy McVeigh. Amy is the founder of Smart College Selection, an educational consulting firm that helps high school students and their families confidently and strategically move through the college selection process. Amy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm just delighted to be here. Well, we're so glad to have you as well. And we are in the middle of a pandemic. We're recording this in May of 2020. And so I want to hear about your services, but I also want to hear about how your conversations are going right now as there's more uncertainty than there's ever been about what next year looks like for college students. Absolutely. It is certainly an unusual time in all of our lives, all aspects of our lives. And when we think about our young people who are transitioning from high school to college, that's already a time that is difficult, emotionally difficult, financially challenging, all sorts of things. And then this layered on the top of it has made it hard. It's made it hard for our seniors. It's made it hard for our juniors. It's made it hard for their families. Um, So the first thing kind of when we all started to realize what was happening, what I was hearing from our families was a lot of confusion and a lot of fear, mm-hmm. which of course makes sense because it's already a complicated process. And then hold on, what, what are we doing? Um, I would say with our group that we work with very closely, what we're hearing now is a lot of relief, even though we still don't fully understand what fall looks like. So for our seniors, they don't know for sure if they're going to be on campus. Um, But I think it is calming down in some ways because I feel like it's the broader understanding that we can't know right now. So that's, we're spending our time communicating with students and families, but yes, this is the time to read more books and You know, if it's safe for you, go outside and run and do other things. And the people who work in higher ed, this is their lifeblood. This is what they have dedicated their lives to. They are trying to figure out how to do this and to do it all safely. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that there are some parallels with the work that I do. Transitions are a pivot point that often bring people into conversations with financial planning. The same, I'm sure, Um, in your field. And uncertainty is so discomforting. But having a conversation partner uh, as a a consultant can be so valuable. So I'd like to kind of set the table, if we can, by starting, just give me a little bit about your background and how you got into the field of consulting on decisions for college. Definitely. It, it, like our young people's path, this was not a straight line. 
Um, this field it's true didn't. for all of life, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so I can be a good example for them when they start to get concerned when they're, I don't know, in 10th grade and don't know what they want to major in. Um, yeah, right. So most of my professional background was in performance improvement consulting. So working in training development, largely in the auto industry. I'm actually, I'm a Detroiter. Um, and that work is all about understanding goals and figuring out the skills and aptitudes you have, um, looking at roadblocks, figuring out how to best position yourself and pulling a process together to achieve goals. So I didn't know it at the time, of course, because we often don't know things ahead of time. Right. <laughs> the perfect positioning to do this work. And I came to it like a lot of people come to it, which is I went through it with my own children. Mm -hmm. uh, my oldest daughter is 29. So this was a time ago. And it was only when I was in it did I understand how complicated it was and how much it would have helped to have knowledgeable, caring people who were not my daughter's mother <laughs> involved. Um, and I didn't even then realize I was starting to make a, a career transition. I, I was still doing corporate training for years after that. But what happened was my daughter had some significant success through her work and, you know, the, some of the work that we did together and, you know, the mom network, right? So I started having moms say, how do I do this? Help me with this process. I'm like, well, I, am, I don't know. I just help my students. So that was, you know, I can look back now and say that was the beginning of it. But right. I actually, once I decided I wanted to do it, which didn't happen until I went through a whole different process with my now almost 25 year old. Um, then I started researching more. The industry was starting to develop more. There are some educational programs that you can do. I have an undergraduate degree from Boston University in communications, and I have a Harvard business degree, um, but I didn't have what I felt I should have to do this work. So I went through the University of California, Los Angeles's certificate program in college advising, which involves six courses and a long practicum and, you know, a couple couple years of education. And that's when I formally launched my business, which was six years. Well, I, this is my sixth graduating class, so seven years ago. But prior to that, years of doing it informally with students. Tell me about your graduating class of 2020. What, what do your clients look like? Where are they going? What are they doing? It's exciting. It's all, I mean, I'm a, I'm a geek in this area, right? So I get very excited about it. We but appreciate this, geeks. So that's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and it's, and it's tinged with the mom thing too. Like I feel like I have all these extra children, which is fabulous. Uh, we worked with 55 kids in this graduating class, which is kind of typical for us. There's three consultants in our practice. We each take 15 to 20 ish students, kind of depending on what else is happening. So it's the very intentionally small practice because of the level of support that we provide. So our students were accepted at 131, I think was the last count, colleges and universities all around the country and Europe. We really pride ourselves on the diversity of kinds of schools that students end up seeking out. And so that number matters to us. They also earned 
seven and a half million dollars in scholarships, and which also the affordability wow. piece of this is is a big piece for families. And there is strategy around how to help families make it more affordable. So that's exciting by the the kind of conventions that many people who are not in this area of work would look at it. We have three students who are going off to Ivy Leagues. That is not something we push, but often students or families or some combination think that that's important. We certainly have a lot of very highly selective schools that our students are heading to. We also have just a great range, which to us is a measure of success because students' needs are so different. And what the default is, is kind of the list gets developed based on what basketball team you follow or where did mom go to school or where did dad go to school or where did we travel last? It's the most haphazard thing you can even imagine. And so we love that work of helping students and families learn more about there's 4,500 different four-year institutions in this country. And that's a lot of schools to know about. That's wonderful. I, I agree with you. I went to a, I went to university of Michigan, a big 10 school and it, you know, was a big name, a big brand, but whether that's the right choice for everyone, I think every child is different. We have a um, cousin who's going to a school with 20 enrollees, one of the smallest schools in the country. We have clients who have had wonderful experiences for their children in, you know, very different atmospheres. And I would think that a consultant would be able to open up ideas and doors that are different than kind of those marketing brochures that I'm sure still come like they did um, back in the day. They do. They still come in the mail, in the mailbox, which is <laughs> shocking to students. Right. Um, I kid with some of my kids, you know, the, the Harry Potter kids, that it's a little like the owls, like just pelting yeah. them. Once, once those PSAT scores are available, like they're just, um, they get, and, and that's an interesting one because that, of course, there's some schools that heavily market that have very low admissions rates. And so one of the first meetings that we have with families, we try to provide them kind of an understanding of how college decisions are made so that they are more informed consumers. And this is something that we obviously can't just do in one meeting. It continues throughout the two, two and a half year process that we're involved. But we talk at that very first meeting about you're not going to build your list based on what brochures come in. And you're not going to call me and say, I'm really sure the University of Chicago wants my student because they have huge marketers and they have a below 10% admissions rate. So understanding that at the beginning really helps students and families. Well, I can certainly see the value of your services, especially because of how important those decisions are in a family's life, in a student's life. And now we find ourselves in the midst of 2020, where everything that seemed certain in February as students were making their decisions is completely up in the air. I've heard statistics that as many as one in six students may be changing their plans. I'm sure that that's a, you know, a loose number because times are early. But what are you hearing from the, you know, either from your families or from um, academic institutions about what to expect for next year? Well, let's go at it from both of those vantage points. From our families they are largely committed to continue with the decisions that they previously made. Now Mm -hmm. that is in part 
because of how they made the decisions. It's not like we had some perfect crystal ball and we knew this was happening. I don't mean right. that at all. But I mean that they went through a very thorough and thoughtful, long-range view when they were developing the list of schools to apply to and then applying. So as an example of that, we have all of our students, even though some of them are certain that there's no way they're going to go to school anywhere near where their parents are. We say, yeah, that's great. I get that. Yeah, you definitely want to fly the nest. You're going to apply to mm-hmm. a school close to home and you're going to get admitted to a school close to home. We always want to have that as an option because we watch this with our students where some of them can't imagine themselves when they're sophomores going more than two hours away. And some of them can't imagine being less than an ocean away from their parents. And so (laughs) we recognize that's normal in the development of the teenage brain and their need for independence. And so we work with that as part of the framework. So everybody does have a close by great option that they are excited about when decision-making is happening. So that is one piece of it. We had of our 55 at this point that we're aware of, and certainly people could continue to wobble, plans could change, jobs are getting lost. You know, there's a lot of things that are happening. Um, But we have only had one of the 55 at this point do what I would consider to be a a more serious look at, am I... am I going to stick this decision? Um, And they have made the decision that they are going to stick with their decision. Could change. We know that could change. In terms of what's happening on the enrollment side of it, uh, higher education leaders are doing scenario planning as any organization would be doing right now. And so there are all kinds of projections. I think that the, the, the worst case scenario, it tends to be an enrollment drop of 20%, 20 wow. to 25%, which is obviously, you know, from a financial planner point of view, right, it's a huge number because they do get funded by tuition dollars. So if you're just looking at it from that vantage point, um, that's significant. The bulk of it is likely to be international students who may not be able to get here. Right. Um, that's a big piece of it. But I think we go back into the land of we don't know. Yeah. Um, and that's where we are. And so people who have you know, worked with their financial planner, they have a long-term plan, they have their education funded in whatever way they were going to have it funded, may have less of an impact. But if college campuses are not open and your student is still going to be in their bedroom doing online classes in the fall, it's a different. Yeah. How do you feel about paying, you know, tuition for a top tier university where the college experience is digital, similar to the Zoom meeting that we're having now? I mean, I, that would be a tough one to write the check for the tuition. Or, yes, and it's not clear what it's going to be institution by institution, of course, right. how they're going to make the decision state by state, city by city, location by location, when they make the decision, it's going to vary a lot. Um, the families that we have talked to who are going to be writing the largest checks are taking, at least at this moment, a very long-term view. This is something that we decided as a family that is important for our child's future, and that has not changed. And though this is stunning and terrifying and a lot of other things, 
we still believe we pick the institution that we want our student to graduate from. And so that's yeah, that makes what sense. we're seeing. And it's a, you know, it's a, um, it's a part of the college experience. It's at, at least right now, we're not projecting the entirety of the college experience. So I'm sure institutions will learn to adapt just like families and students are, are, um, have no choice but to adapt. Right. So what happens for families who are, um, who have juniors this year, who will be seniors next year? I know that oftentimes the summer before that senior year is a time where you focus travel on visiting campuses. There's important tests that need to be taken. How are you advising your next class um, in terms of what they should be doing right now? That's exciting for them. Um, yeah. These are students who thought this, you know, they had this planned out. Certainly the families that have been working with us, you know, we've had a plan at least since end of sophomore year with our now juniors, almost seniors. And so that plan um, is being adjusted in many ways. So we'll take them um, topic by topic because there are, there are lots of pieces to this. Right. On admissions testing. So historically, most colleges want an ACT or an SAT. Uh, many of our students have already taken one. So they're in a, you know, an advantage position in that kind of way because they had already taken one. We are still advising, though many, many institutions have gone to what is called test optional for at least this class of 2021. We are still advising our students to try to get an ACT or an SAT date on the books if they can. They're hard to come by. It's like, you know, harder than your favorite music ticket at the moment. Yeah, but, I, had a, I had a client in Northern California, and he said he got one of the last slots in the San Francisco area for his son. And, you know, you can imagine the demand. So. Correct. So that's what we're still advising. The reason we're still advising it, even if a school goes test optional for the class of 2021, it is always true that a strong test score adds value to an overall application. If the school will look at it. And test optional often means the school will look at it. They're just saying, if you don't have one, then we won't look at it. And then what happens is every other factor becomes somewhat more important because we still mm -hmm. need to make a decision. So that's why we're still advising that. And there are lots of things the testing agencies are doing to provide additional dates when it's safe. They're talking about in-home testing. Their ACT had already planned before any of this happened to allow for individual section retesting. So that's going to happen in the fall. So there's, there's lots of things. So that's in terms of what are we advising on testing? We still think it's a good idea to try to go get a test date if you can. If you Perfect. can't, then that's a different situation. Um, in terms of visiting campuses, that's a hard one. This happened, of course, right as spring break was happening. So right. many, many junior families have been planning a spring break college tour, you know, whether the student wants to or not, or whether everybody, you know, the younger siblings don't want to be in the car and be traipsing around, but whatever. It's typically, it's planned. Um, and those all got canceled, of course. Uh, universities are doing a lot to provide virtual tours now. It's not the same. Nobody right. thinks it's the same, but it's something. So families can find out about that on individual colleges' websites. There's also a couple of tools. Um, one is called Campus Reel, and Reel there is R-E-E-L, like film reel. Okay. Um, and another one is called You Visit. Both of those are virtual visit platforms that have been out there for a year. So that's another way that students can look to some degree. 
imperfect, but that's, that's what we have. As for summer programs, you're right. It is a very rich time for students to explore interests, get a sense of what it's like to be on a college campus, do research. There's just a lot of things that happen for our sophomores or our juniors in the summer. And many of those formal programs are now offering some kind of a distance alternative. I would say, again, it's not the same, but there are other places that are now offering online learning for our students that didn't previously have them. So it's worth seeing. Now, the reality is that our students are probably going to be burned out on e-learning by the time they're done with their junior year. They don't want to look at a screen again, and maybe they shouldn't. And so that's where we're talking to our families about, you remember that thing you always told me that you really wish you could teach yourself how to make up a language. Like this is the time to do that. Become an expert in Catan, a board game. Go, you know, just some of these things that are not packaged and are genuine in terms of a student interest. What they do have now is time. And often our young people are so scheduled, they don't have time. So we're trying to encourage some of that as well for this summer. It's so true. I I think in the first month of here in Michigan, staying at home, the lack of the schedule was a burden because we build our lives around um, these barriers that get us through the day. But as we've entered month two and and now um, close to month three, um, the opportunities are expanding for potentially more creative work. Um, you know, more, uh, you're interacting with fewer people, but perhaps more deeply. Um, and it, you may look back on this time and wish that you had mapped something out and opened new doors for possibilities, which don't have to be expensive, but they can be meaningful. Correct. It's, it's interesting that you bring that up because we were, like many, caught a little bit off guard when this happened and we're just, you know, as a company trying to figure out what's our role we are right. all about reducing stress. And so how do you reduce stress at a point like this when we don't really know the answers? Um, and so there were two things that we did with our juniors that have turned out to be really, really good things. In that gap, what you were talking about before, the schools largely had e-learning, depending on how how often they used e-learning in the past. But a lot of the schools were still trying to figure out, can we even require Right. Can we on what platform? Like exactly. Yeah. So we were reaching out to our students and families, and of course they were reaching out to us, and we were trying to ascertain what what would be useful here. And so one of the things that we offered up is that we do one of the two main deliverables really that we have with our families is that we help create a really strong and balanced college list. We call it our explore list. It happens in the junior year sometime, usually January, February, March, right, right in this time. And they, kids have a lot of schools on that list, up to 25 schools. Wow. And then they do research on those schools with our support because that puts them in the driver's seat of understanding the differences between schools and really helps separate out, you know, what's brand name and what's a program I love and what's a, in a learning environment. I love lots of things. So in that moment, we said to our juniors who already had their lists, do you want to have more frequent 
research meetings. They normally do three to five of these. They have to work it around baseball practice and the musical and all these other things. And they're meeting with you? Yes, they meet with us individually. Mm -hmm. And we often do these on Zoom. I mean, before everybody was a Zoomer, we were because the kids at that point it's it's an efficient check-in how'd the research go what was confusing what couldn't you find oh you don't understand the difference between a bfa or a ba or a b let's do this so it's all about education but driven by the students questions almost to a full amount i mean almost every one of them said oh i want to switch to weekly meetings Mm. interesting yeah. So that's what we did. So for us, like it accelerated the research process, which was completely fine because they had time, but mostly they wanted structure. Yeah. They wanted an adult that has a view of their future and enough belief that it will be there. And they wanted to be able to say to us, you know, my mom's making me crazy or my <laughs> little brother is hogging the computer. You know, whatever it was, they needed to say those things and then they needed to talk about their future. So that was the first thing that we realized, okay, this is, this is useful because we were going to do this work anyway, but we were going to have to plug it around all sorts of other things. They wanted to build a focus and they wanted to focus on something that was forward looking. And so we could do that. And then the second one, we always have our rising seniors. We give them journals and we give them things that we want them to write about. Now you can imagine this goes in a variety of ways. You know, some of them, the, the journal, ends up under the bed and it never comes back out again. Um, but you might just need to translate their Twitter feed for, um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. And we give them those options. Like the, the things we give them to write about are they can pull things from social media. They can do it, but we try to get them off the screen in the end because yeah. there's value in the way the brain works then. So we, we typically do that in the summer from the day school gets out up until they do an application workshop with us. And we decided, you know, these kids need to process. And so we're not trained psychologists by any means, but we know things that are useful for kids to be able to react to. And so we delivered them all to their homes, social distance, outside, knock, we left, and we give them new prompts every Friday and they have just... It's been fabulous. It, Can you give just, an example of a prompt? Yes. Actually, one of the ones that we did last week was, and this is, we give them two different kinds. So prompt number one is always a quick answer because okay. some of them are just going to do that. They're just going to text, are you ketchup or mustard? Or, yeah. you know, what teachers are you thinking about being your recommenders? Or what's your favorite would you rather question? So that those are the easy easies. Mm -hmm. And then we've been increasing kind of level of complexity on the longer ones. And so one of the ones from last Friday was write a letter to your um, pre-COVID self, essentially. Things when you look back after this period, what will you have accomplished? And I know we didn't use the word accomplished because we debated among ourselves a lot. I think it was experienced and learned. So it was that idea that let's, let's write this September 2020 self kind of picture and then a pre-COVID picture and try to get them thinking about exactly what you were talking about, Melissa, of things that they wouldn't otherwise be able to do. And it would probably drive them crazy if we started talking now about how this time is a gift and you have time at home and you can be with your family and you can learn to bake. We didn't say any right, of those things, right. although we believe them all. We're not stupid. Um, So we didn't say any of those things. But what is it when you look back that you are going to be able to say? And that's been a fun one too, because they're they're 
they're very chatty, you know, so they're, they're so I'm going to steal that with attribution because I think that's a wonderful prompt for all of us. We, you know, and the answer, it would be fine if the answer were, I'm going to take a sabbatical from the rat race. Um, I think that if you did that with intention, it would be gold star. There is no wrong answer to that. It's just your word intention is great because that's what will help us all. And if we think about, I mean, I'm in the business of of college selection, right? So I can't look at this without looking at it from that lens. I hope that admissions officers are not buried in essays next fall about your response to the pandemic, but we would be foolish to think that students are not going to need to write about that and need to process it. And so by giving them these little pieces as we go, I don't know that any of these will ever be utilized beyond the moment that they help them process a time that is difficult. Mm -hmm. But I've done this work long enough to know that when students can open up and journal, when they go to sit down to do their applications, whenever that is, they are in their journals. They are marking stuff because there's kernels of how their brain works and what matters to them and what they value. And that's wonderful. That is really interesting. And um, so I'm, I'm just so thankful that you shared, you know, kind of that tool and thinking ahead, um, we could all use those journals. So I, I, I know that, you know, September, um, 11th is a defining moment for, for the millennials and that, um, impacted all of us, but the level of how our lives have been altered in this current pandemic is completely different and on many levels. So I know that, um, all of us are being marked by it and, um, adapting and evolving. So, um, you know, the, that thought process can be really powerful. And it's also an extraordinary document as I, I talk about legacy with, with clients and how meaningful experiences are to your financial decisions. Speaking of financial decisions, um, family, well, universities have changing financial pictures. I know I'm, I've been concerned for some smaller colleges um, and, and um, happen to have had a client who's, had a child at a school that um, was a wonderful liberal arts school, but didn't have the money to stay open. So their, their doors closed um, a couple years ago. So I know that's a possibility. And then also families um, balance sheets are changing. How are you, um, are there any strategies you can suggest when families are scrambling to make a financial decision about something that seemed like they had the budget for it last year, but things may be changing? I know a conversation with a financial planner is something that I would suggest um, definitely to strategize, but are there, can you appeal financial aid or do other um, strategies to adjust? Yes. And let's, let's look at this from, from two vantage points. First, the longer term view of a family that's not right in it today, making this, you know, not our seniors. We'll we'll come to that one next. Um, But the first and we are very careful to always point out that we are not financial planners. And we always advise that people check in with their financial planners as they're trying to figure this all out. Cause it's, you know, obviously one of the biggest purchases that, that families make. Right. So 
we view the affordability side of this as something that is critically important and should not be separated from kind of the bright and shiny, here's the school I think I want. So we treat affordability as one component of fit. Even with our families who tell us initially, and you can imagine with the clientele that, that we work with, there are a decent number who say it doesn't matter. We've right. saved for it. We've planned for it. This is more important to us than anything else. And I know it drives the financial planners crazy because there's some side of this of, wait, are you, what about your retirement planning? <laughs> that needs to be coming first and then this, but I'll let you fight that battle. Yes, that's, so that's fair. We do build in, we're very intentional early in working with our families on outlining the criteria by which the list is going to be built. So. We do some very specific activities with our students, and then we have a piece that we ask our parents to do, which is all about what the parent parameters are, financial being one part of that, but many other parts of it. Do you talk money with the kids too? um, It comes together in the next step, which is we, we take this, the parents outline their parameters, students do these activities with us that really help us identify learning environments, types of learning environments, social environments, the whole range of things that impact fit. And then we come back to the student, importantly, to the student with a one page bulleted, okay, here's what we've heard you say the criteria are, and they incorporate mom and dad's criteria. So it's in writing the financial, the budget. Now, some families, you can imagine, don't do it this way, but this is our ideal scenario, and many of them do. Because what we know, and I'm sure, like many things in, in your business, if we have the conversation, the conversation might be hard to have, but yes. having it and having it sooner is so much better than later. I just had the same discussion with a couple talking about budget where I was like, awkward conversations are better than conversations that should have happened that never did. Correct. So we facilitate that process and we, in that meeting with the students, say, okay, now have mom and dad told you what their parameters are? Now they're right. supposed to in our process, but if, if I have to do it, I will do it. I will absolutely. Sometimes there's a taboo talking, you know, I mean, specifically about financial or other expectations that just are less easily communicated because one side has always assumed the other knew. Right. And that's a place where your, your role and my role are similar in that sometimes families need an outside person to help facilitate those conversations. And we're very happy to do that. So that's the first place affordability comes in is outlining these criteria. What is the budget? Where do finances fall in? And sometimes it's, we care a lot about affordability and it needs to be built into how the list is created. So that's one scenario. Another scenario is kind of this category of people who will say it doesn't matter or it will only come in when we're choosing between options. The student's been admitted and then they're looking at their financial aid packages or their their merit packages or whatever. So it's either done in building in the list or in evaluating between options. There's a lot of variations, but those are the two big differences. So that's how, in terms of what we do, what we would say to a family in response to your broader question is, think about affordability at the very beginning. Right. Undoubtedly, your financial planner has advised that you start saving as soon as you can save. Well, then if you build the wrong, wrong list and you only apply, your student only applies to schools that are not going to give money to a student of your student's profile, 
you've increased your costs measurably. Right. I care about that. And if you don't care about that, I'm, I'm totally game, not a problem. But if that's important and you know, if you're going to qualify for need-based financial aid, that's one category. If you're not going to qualify for need-based aid, which is most of the families that we work with, but affordability is still a concern, then we need to look for schools where your students, academic, athletic, other record will earn them merit scholarships. That's what's going to reduce the cost. I think that I see families more so when they first come to me that have, they haven't, they may have a philosophy about educating their children, which is very, a very high priority without the game plan to match. So, you know, that, and that may be a hindrance to the rest of their financial picture because they don't even know how to crack that nut. And so, and everything else is lower on the priority list. Like they're going to retire later, et cetera. Um, In other cases, it's just, it seems like the financial stuff is an afterthought. Like there's an assumption that it'll all work itself out or, and certainly for both of our perspectives, I would assume that, you know, the assumption, Hey, um, Johnny's doing so good in school. It's going to be a full ride scholarship. Um, You know, that's just a really tough way to plan. Um, it's, it's not a plan. It's a, it's a hope or an aspiration. Um, of course, when we work with people, they have a game plan, but there is this, um, there's this stage where there's a large swath of people that don't have your advice, which would naturally incline them to think about the affordability and financials and also don't have the financial planner slice, have all of the capabilities to, um, have a great game plan for educating their kids as well as retirement. It just hasn't been a part of their culture. They never made the decision to hire someone on either side. So I always encourage people to at least have exploratory conversations um, to see whether professional advice would be helpful. We, I, I think both of us would be biased that professional advice in, in areas of your life, which are big monetary decisions, can be quite helpful and and give you the outcomes that you would be looking for. You may not even know what those outcomes are unless you explore the conversation with someone who has experience in the field. Right. And in your field like ours is one that there's so much press coverage and there's, there's all kinds of advice. There's a lot of that wisdom and every person on your block has an opinion, right? 100% and certain times a year for us and I'm sure it's true for you as well but um, that peaks and you know I and then we're going to google search and then we don't know where we're getting the information from and so you know yes absolutely well I I I suspect we could talk all day about these topics and we're running out of time but I well, first of all, I want to make sure to share that in our show notes, we're going to have resources. First of all, an article that you wrote, Seven Steps to College Selection, and a PDF with college selection tips that I think is going to be useful for any family. How can someone find a um, educational consultant and how can they work um, with your firm, Amy? So we're, it's easy to find us. Uh, the company name is, is three words that describe what we do. Smart, as in intelligent. Uh, college, as in your next step after high school. And selection, 
importantly, selection, because we think that puts the students and the families in the driver's seat. It's not about admission. It's about selection. They go together. But I love that. Yeah, it's, it's a philosophy. It drives everything we do. So smartcollegeselection.com, we're there. That's an easy way to find us. In terms of more broadly, how do people find people like us? I think it's really important to find a person that you connect with. Fit is just as important in your advisor of whatever kind of professional advisor you're getting as so true. in picking a college. It is important to find advisors who are either a member of the Higher Education Consultants Association, so that's HECA, H-E-C-A, or the Independent Educational Consultants Association, I-E-C-A. Both organizations have directories of consultants who do this work on their websites, There are many, many people out there who do this work kind of on the side and um, may or may not have the kind of qualifications that we think are very important to give guidance in an area that's as important as this. I appreciate that suggestion. We'll make sure that I have both organizations as well as, of course, Smart College Selection in our show notes so that people are able to reach out. Amy, thank you so much for your time. I suspect that we will be having further conversations down the road if you're open to it because your information is invaluable. Thank you. You can access our first eight episodes now and we'll be releasing new episodes each Monday. For more information, visit pearlplan.com or our Facebook page, Pearl Planning Wealth.